take the unbelievable of God's word and believe in life. Your humility is to take God's word as it is. Tongues and prophecy go hand This is Young Ecclesia Nation. Let your heart be flooded with light as you listen to the word of God in ministration. I Pastor Odudu Essien. God bless you. And write everything down. Alright, so the series we're going to start is one that is near and, um, will I say, dear to my heart because of the fact that it helped me to realize, um, it helped me to realize that a lot of what we um, were taught growing up were not bad was not very foundational okay um we're going to be looking at apologetics we're going to be going into apologetics all right apologetics is a defense of the faith all right um it's not just enough to to um be a christian it's important to know why you're a christian and um there's something that is very um important about what i just said you see when you go through life all right if you're a christian because of things that are not substantial when you go through life and experience certain things um just like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand when the rains come and the floods come all right because it's not built on the right foundation your christianity will come crashing down okay your Christianity will what will come crashing down because it's not built on proper foundations. Okay, your Christianity has proper foundations, and people go through what we call existential crisis, where they get to a point and then they are they begin to ponder on and ask questions about their existence. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is life about? Um, you know, and and things that are, are really down to the core of who you are and if you don't have the right answers at that time you can you you can misread. i also found that a lot of times we as christians we are taking a very serious leap of faith um <clears throat> to be christians and the reason is because many times we have not really been schooled properly into a logical um explanation for our faith like our faith has not been has not made sense like it makes makes sense on an emotional level it makes sense on an experiential level because oh wow i feel this is real um, um but it doesn't we've not allowed it or it has not come to place where it makes sense logically you understand where it makes sense logically where it's logical to us okay um and as i said there is a lot of embracing what we believe by faith and when we say by faith our own view of faith many times in christendom is to just believe something without evidence all right to just believe something because my pastor said so believe something because my parents said so and there is a phase of your christian life where that's acceptable i mean the same my daughter will believe what i tell her just because i'm her dad you understand um but it gets to a point or place as she grows that what i say that her faith 
or her belief in certain things should not just be because I said so, but because those things are true. Because those things can be proven. All right? Because those things are reasonable. All right? A Christian should go to that place whereby he or she believes uh, what, what he or she believes because they are true. All right? And um, I'm going to be playing a bunch of clips as we go. Um, because what I'm going to be teaching is based on a very good course by um, a certain gentleman. And, and I found the course so good when it comes to apologetics that um, I don't really see any need to, will I say, modify it per se. All right. So it's not like this is this is going to be a course that I think really blessed me when it came to apologetics. Um, I really opened up my mind to to a lot of things. Um, but it's majorly a defense. And um, as I said, if you don't have the right foundations or the right answers, there will come a time in your life. If your own faith is just shallow, thing, there are things that will come and test your faith. For example, if you... Um, there are, there are cases where you lose, lose a loved one, okay? You lose a loved one. That can really test your faith, all right? Can really test your faith. You lose, lose someone you love, someone you deeply care about, all right? And then, of course, you know the whole, we prayed, we fasted, we did all this and that and all that. But the person dies, all right? That can be tested. And if you don't have the right foundations, if you don't have the right foundations, you may start to question your beliefs, all right? And in fact, in the Western world, all right, we have what we call deconstruction today. I'm sure you, if you are one of these people who goes on YouTube a lot, you would have seen some of these videos where this one talks about how I walked away from Christianity, how I lost my faith, how I deconstructed my faith and all that stuff. And deconstruction is just simply when a person begins to say, okay, let me re-examine this thing that I say I believe and why I believe it okay they begin to re-examine their faith the problem with most of those people is that they don't um they're not usually around people or or they don't usually have access to materials that actually properly um explain or give substance to their faith so they end up finding the the stephen hawkins and richard dawkins and all the, the atheists and co and all that stuff and then of course that takes them away from their faith um, you shouldn't just be a Christian because you have faith. Like, oh, no, 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 Christianity is true. I'm trying to help God. No, no, Christianity is true, it's true, it's true. And then that's, that's all you are, you, are, you are basing it on. And Christianity is, the evidence for Christianity is so good. You don't, it doesn't have to be based on experiences. And I'm saying, because if you, if you base your Christianity on experiences, first of all, you have to realize that Christianity is not the only belief that has experiences. There are a lot of unbelievers who have had experiences and so-called encounters. If you want to say that, oh, in Christianity is true because of miracles, don't forget that in Genesis chapter when, you know, sorry, Exodus, don't forget in Exodus that when Moses cast down his staff, the magicians cast down their own staff and it turned, they all turned to serpents. Where we start to see that there is a one true God is that they got, it got to a point that the magicians could not match the power of God and they could not replicate what Moses. At the point, they just they just couldn't do it anymore. They had limits. That's the point. We saw what we saw was that because they were doing it by the power of other gods. And if you know, if you've gone through supernatural rebellion, if you know what I'm talking about. They're doing that by the power of other gods. But you know, because those other gods are finite and have a limit 
All right? They got to a point they could not continue. They could not, you understand, they couldn't match what Moses was doing. And we saw the superiority of Yahweh's miracles. So, yeah, miracles can attest to the fact that there is a God. However, you find out quickly that there are other, there are religions all over the world that have miracles. You understand? There are miracles. I'll give you an example. Even when it comes to Christianity, right? Um, if you still want to use miracles, I hope you know the Catholic Church, for example, has had a lot of, in quotes, miracles. That, well, some I know are God, but there are a bunch of them I don't believe are God. For example, the if you want to give the evidence for Mary being the who the Catholics believe, one day we'll do a whole teaching on Catholicism and what they believe and all those things. Um, if you want to believe that Mary is, you know, is, should be adored the way they do and all that stuff, and Mary is our mother and she, she's supposed to be praying for us and all that stuff, you know, there are statues of Mary that that tears just keep flowing down. They just keep on seeing these um, water, just water just keeps flowing down from the eyes and. You know, they're like, oh, wow, look at that. You see, that's evidence that kini, 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 and all that stuff. The point is that if, if <laughs> that's what the Bible calls lying wonders, lying signs and wonders. So if, if the enemy feels like they can, that to get people's attention that they have to pull off one or two tricks, they will. You understand? So your faith cannot be anchored just on miracles, all right? Uh, miracles are substantial, but miracles are not enough. It has to be more than miracles. All right? It has to be more than miracles. Your faith has to be anchored on proper evidence, on reason. Your faith has to be reasonable. Are you with me? And so we're going to be taking that journey. Uh, and another reason that this is important is that this is an epidemic that is sweeping the world. Um, we did, I think, when we're looking at supernatural rebellion, we looked at a chart or something on google i googled a chart that shows that atheism is highly on the rise in european countries as well as american countries and even nations like israel are probably 60 percent atheist all right 60 70 australia is like you know that's 50 60 maybe 70 percent atheist many of these scandinavian countries are mostly atheist america has about 60 percent atheism and is rising all right Many of these Western countries, atheism is rising. Now, that's not this, that's not the that's not the 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 same statistic in 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 African countries anyway. Because as I always like to joke, I say that you know when we understand, you know, for you to if you can't just believe there's no God, you must also believe there's no devil. Your your worldview is inconsistent if you believe there is no God, but you you embrace the devil, and because we here in Africa know that they're real shaky, all right. If you all you have to do is just go to your village and then you believe uh -huh. we, we know there's real shaky. <laughs> I I was I was listening to someone today that was spoke about how he went to a village and was doing saying something. And so there was this young guy interpreting for him. Um and whatever happens, I think in the end they ended up saying something they shouldn't have said. And the person who was interpreting said no that's not what i meant though and the people is is apologizing to profusely or profoundly and quickly if you look at them they are some very frail looking human beings they are very frail looking walking stick like men that are on their way to the coffin and you are <laughs> you are wondering why is he why is he apologizing to these men no it's not about <laughs> it's not about what they can do in the natural it's what they can do in the supernatural 
That's why the man is apologizing because he knows that these people we are seeing there are not just, they have a supernatural slant. And one of the things that Satan has tried to do, all right, over the years is to try to convince the world that there is no supernatural, that there's no, nothing supernatural, um, that the, every whole world is just natural and material, which is insanity. All right, it's insanity. If we remember supernatural rebellion, remember we spoke about the fact that um, that our world is an expression of the supernatural. To say there is no supernatural world is a is a silly thing. In fact, it's a very modern view, very modern view. Because for throughout history, if you go back to ancient cultures, most of the ancient cultures, most of those are rooted in the belief of the supernatural. Even if they will not say they believe in the God, the, the, the God of Israel, but they are highly rooted in a supernatural view. Our world is highly supernatural. Our world is supernatural. All right? Our world is supernatural. Just the idea that there is creation tells you that there is a supernatural world. Why? Because something does not just appear. Something has to come from nothing. All right? Or, or let me use the word, if you see something, why is there something and not nothing? If there is nothing, then there's nothing. But if there is something, then there had to be someone behind the, the something. Are you with me? There had to be someone behind the something. Things will just exist. You won't just see a hammer and and reason that, oh, the, that means, um, no, this just popped into existence. Are you with me? So we have to have good reasons for our faith and our belief. And also that's what this um, period is going to be about. Well, we're just going to be, um, sometimes I'm going to just teach straight <clears throat> from... Um, my manual sometimes i'm going to play a video um to buttress my point and then we'll just be going like that of course it's also highly interactive so what that means is that at any point in time you have questions you know in fact you should have questions okay you should you should have questions you should have questions there are good reasons for your faith very 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 good reasons for your faith okay and so that's what we're going to be looking at so um let me, I'm going to be sharing a video right now. Let me see if I can do that. And um, let's just, uh, you know, as they say, listen and be blessed. No, listen and, and, and analyze, listen and think. So let's see. Um, okay. All right. Um, okay. I grew up being Christian, but as I grew older, I kind of realized that a lot of it is not something that I believe in or really think it's true. You know, we, we came from a country that was almost, you know, it was clearly and predominantly Christian. And so to find Christ and the Christian faith was a connection. You know, you fast forward 30 years, you know, 40 years. Where are we today? We're in not only in a different century, we're in, you know, we're in a different age. Are we witnessing the fall of Christianity in America? I sort of tend to think of the Bible more as historical fiction. I think it's just mythology. Perhaps as many as 16% of people now identify as having no faith of any kind, and that's double what it was a decade ago. In a number of surveys, anywhere from 60 to 90% of our young people who get out of high school, go away to a secular Christian school, lose their faith. I just don't believe in the fact that there is a God. We're commanded by Scripture, which is the first object of our faith, verbally, to 
who will be ready to give a reason for the faith that is in us. I personally cannot um, personally accept the fact that he's a son of God. Apologetics is the study of how to defend and explain a position, and so Christian apologetics is the study of how to defend and explain the Christian faith. We have to give reasons for what we believe if we're honest. If you don't know about these things, you're going to be deluded by all sorts of stuff you hear on the radio, which, which often is just ignorant. I think young people are much more vulnerable to this today because the culture is so de-Christianized. It is so radically secularized. If you have a presidential candidate, say, who says he's a Roman Catholic, challenge him publicly. Do you seriously believe that the wafer turns into the body of Christ? Do you really believe that the, the wine turns into the blood? Don't let him get away with that truly ridiculous I, beliefs uh, without challenging well, them. The Bible is just the Bible, and like I said, um, the stories are, they are what they are, and I've just been raised to believe in them. We need to be able to tell people, not just that we believe in Jesus Christ, but why we believe in Jesus Christ. If the current generation doesn't give reasons, the next generation will think there aren't any. I think apologetics is very important because it does challenge people where they're at, challenges them to think. If you don't have apologetics, of course, obviously there won't be much Christianity left. It has to be defended. Um, it challenges Christians to think about why is it that Christianity is true? And it challenges unbelievers to think about um, you know, how do I know that the worldview that I believe currently is true? And if it isn't true, what could that mean for me in terms of eternity? Okay, so um, that's that. That's the that's the beginning of the video. Um, but you can see um, what's going on there. Um, you can you you, you can see that people are beginning to see their Christian faith more as um, fairy tales. All right. Um, there are many questions to ask, and I'm not going. We won't be able to address everything in this particular series, but um, we're going to be touching on Christianity itself. Um, but there are many questions. You see people asking questions about the Bible, how we show the Bible is real or true, all right? The stories inside the Bible, how we show they are true, all right? Uh, the story of Adam and Eve, how we show it's true. Um, the story of David and Goliath, how we show it's true. It's not like David exists, you know? There are many questions that we can ask about our faith, all right? Is there really any evidence? Because in the end, what you have is a book, okay? What you have is a book that tells you stuff. Um, but the question is, can you trust what it says, all right? Can you what trust what it says? So there are many things are going to be questions we're going to be asking, and <clears throat> as we you know, as we move on, all right, and then maybe we'll do a separate course later on on the Bible itself. How did the Bible come about, and all those things? Okay, so um, <clears throat> so the the so we are going to be at looking today or. or in this session as what we call the problem of happiness, okay? Um, problem of happiness. Okay, that's how we're gonna start out um, this particular um, teaching, problem of happiness, okay? Um, and so what we are gonna learn in this chapter is um, what the problem of happiness is, all right? Um, why searching for the true religion is important for your life and uh, the important difference between what religions believe and why they believe and um, why all religions cannot be true, okay? So, um, now, 
talk about Jesus and religion should not be seen as an abstract or irrelevant discussion. We need to bring it to a personal level. Okay, so let, let me, I think a better way to do this will be, let me let it play. Because I can either teach from here or let it play. Let it play and then we'll stop, pause, talk, pause, talk and all that stuff. I think it's a better, it's a better format. Okay. Okay, let's begin this whole discussion by putting the conversation into context. Uh, the reason why I say that is because a lot of people think that religious discussion is talk about just this abstract world, it's all this heady intellectual stuff, and it doesn't really have any application to their day-to-day -day lives. So a lot of people for this reason simply just aren't interested in, in talking about religion. It's just something that's so far off and so far removed, they don't see the applicability to their day-to-day -day lives. Now, this view, I think, is very mistaken. In fact, I think everybody, if you got down to it, is very interested in religion. Why do I say that? Because I think it's evident that all of us are concerned about our own happiness. Everybody wants to be happy, right? All, every sane person wants to be happy. I mean, a lot of philosophers have argued that everything we do is geared towards attaining happiness. So this is a very persuasive view. And it's very plausible, I think, that happiness is a big concern to all of us. Nobody wants to be unhappy. We're always doing things to try to reach some level of happiness. But then a big question arises. Is this happiness even attainable? Is real, lasting happiness something that we can achieve? Uh, and I think this is a very important question. After all, we all want happiness. But, of course, the bigger question here is, can we get there? Is this happiness even attainable at all? Now, I know a lot of people think that um, they have this attitude. We hear a lot today that when, when bad things happen, they'll say, hey, don't worry. Everything will be all right. Just, just have a positive mental attitude. Things will all work out for the best in the end, etc. Now, this very well could be absolute nonsense. In other words, they don't know that everything will work out for the best in the end after all. In other words, they don't know that human happiness is attainable. Now, when I say that, when I say human happiness, I do mean uh, happiness that is real and lasting. We all admit that uh, momentary bouts of happiness are possible. You know, you can have a good day at work and you come home and, well, you're just, you're just up, you're on cloud nine, you have a great night and you're happy. But then, you know, at the end of the day, that kind of fades off, and the next day, maybe you're more back to normal, and then maybe even you're in more of a depressed state, and, you know, our emotional states like this go like a roller coaster. I'm not talking about those momentary peaks of happiness. We all admit we have those. But the question is, is real and lasting happiness possible? One that just is not just fleeting, gone here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing, but a happiness that lasts and always stays with us. Is that kind of happiness attainable at all? And at, at first glance, it seems there could be some big problems with this. In other words, when we look at the matter, when we analyze this question of, of happiness in the absolute lasting sense, is there such a thing and it, can it be attainable? There are some big problems that arise. Problems that, in fact, give us a very grim forecast about our ability to attain this happiness. Okay, so just what are these problems then? Let, let's call this, this whole problem, let's call it the problem of happiness and it's a threefold problem, okay? So we're gonna put up here the problem of happiness. And this is a threefold problem. There are three problems that kind of make up what I'm calling the problem of happiness. 
The first problem, problem number one, is what we can call troubles in this life. Troubles in this life. Number one, troubles in this life. This is something that's been recognized by a lot of philosophers and thinkers. For example, St. Augustine is, is a good example. Uh, St. Augustine points out in his work, The City of God, that earthly goods, the things we got to have to be happy, earthly goods like food, water, shelter, health, earthly goods are necessary for our happiness. We got to have them, but they're radically undependable. Earthly goods are necessary, but they're radically undependable. They're always subject to chance and different vicissitudes, and you don't know if you can always hang on to these things or not. We have to have things like food, water, health, and so on in order to be happy in this life, but there's no guarantee that you're always going to have these things. So this is what makes up part of the troubles of this life. It's always subject to being taken away from you at any time. How do you know you're not going to lose your health at any moment? You could get cancer in a heartbeat. You can be hit by a car. Uh, maybe you like your beauty. Well, you know, go Google uh, facial cancer and see what that looks like, for example. Or you, maybe you like your athleticism and you know, you're really a great, you're a great athlete. Well, you, may, you could be in a wreck today and just lose the, the, the functionality of your limbs. All of these goods of this earth can be taken away from you at any moment. They're subject to just so many variables, it's, it's completely out of your control. You need these things to be happy, but they're undependable, radically, radically undependable. Other evils, I mean, you can think of a whole list, right? Evils like rape, disease, kidnapping, violent crime, economic collapse, forces of nature. You and your loved ones are, are in constant danger of being subjected to one of these. That, and it could happen at any moment, and you just simply don't know. There are other things like financial struggles. There are a lot of people struggle just to make ends meet. Um, and, and then just all this stuff, all these goods you have are just can be taken away at any moment. And even if you do have things like, say, health or beauty, whatever the case may be right now, uh, you're aging, right? That, that's a simple fact of life. If you're not dead, then you're aging and your beauty and your health and, your, and your, uh, all your athleticism is just slowly and slowly and slowly slipping away. There's just simply no, no way around this. Whatever this youth and vitality you may have right now, it's all gradually going away. It's for, for, for most of us, if we don't die young, we can look forward to uh, the end of our lives being in existence in a nursing home or something like this, or with Alzheimer's. And it doesn't even have to be the case that you've actually, this has actually happened to you. Just the mere threat of loss, just the mere threat of one of these things coming upon you at any moment is enough to undermine your happiness if you're thoughtful enough to think about it. So the point here for St. Augustine and a lot of other thinker, thinkers as well is that the troubles in this life, whether they're happening to you right now or just the mere threat of them, okay, this kind of thing, insecurity and fear of loss, these things are incompatible with happiness. You may try to just, you know, redirect your mind and think about something else and not, not let it bother you, but they're still there. It could still happen at any moment, and there's nothing you can do about it, okay? Now, one may object, uh, well, yeah, okay, there are a lot of bad things in this life. There are troubles in this life, but you know what? There's a lot of good, too, and we would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, on balance, life is more good than bad, but you know what? That's just going to make things worse. Why do I say that? Because that brings us to our second point, the second problem under the problem of happiness, is that even the good things of this world can be instantly ripped away from you at any moment 
through death. That's part two now. So the second part of the problem of happiness is what we can call the problem of death. The problem of death. The goods of this life are in constant threat of being ripped away from you at any moment. This is the second problem. So even if you try to get out of the first problem by saying, yeah, okay, there are some bad things in this world, but on balance, there are more good things. Yes, we can agree with that, but guess what? Even those good things, boom, can be smashed, completely taken away from you at any moment through this thing, this inevitable event that we all have to go through called death. So this is the problem or the reality of death, problem number two. What can we say about this? Well, we all, like I said, we all know life is painful. It's full of, full of uh, worry and, 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 and fear sometimes. But then your death will end the only life you'll ever have. You're going to end this life. Your life is coming to an end right now. Each day you get closer and closer to it. As St. Alphonsus Liguori says, there is nothing more certain than death, yet there is nothing more uncertain than the hour of death. We know we're going to die. We don't know when. How many people do you know who are, their plans have been cut short? I mean, this life just seems to slip away so fast. And they had plans to do this and they had plans to do that. And just one morning they wake up and bang, you know, this is just gone, just gone. Life is over. It's very, very fleeting. So we can say for sure, as all the saints say, I think, that life is short, death is certain, but the hour of death is uncertain. We just don't know when this is going to happen. We all just pass it so quickly. You can, I think it's kind of obvious why the problem of death can also serve to undermine our happiness here in this world. I mean, like I said a while ago, you know, we can have these ups and downs, even those momentary bouts of happiness, right? Even, even those, forget real and lasting happiness, but even the momentary peaks of our life. Next time you're up on one of those, just think about your death, right? See how, see how happy you feel. I'm in a great mood, I had a great day at work. Well, pretty soon, within a matter of days or years or whatever the case may be, you're going to be thrown into a grave, dirt's going to be piled on top of you, and then that's the end, no more. So see, see what that does to your good mood next time, okay? So yeah, I think you can see here the, the, some of the wisdom of the ancient philosophers and saints who had the Latin phrase, memento mori, memento mori, remember your death. Death makes the goods of this world not so good anymore. Okay, this is the unanimous teaching of the saints that death makes the goods of this world not so good anymore. Um, another way to think of this problem is what is what St. Philip Neri called the then what problem. Then what? Then what? What is this? Uh, St. Philip Neri, it's been reported that he li liked to question people who had lofty ambitions. They would tell St. Philip Neri, hey, I want to go do this when I get older. I want to have this. I have this goal. I want to get graduate from this university or what, this, this career, whatever the case may be. St. Philip Neri used to like to, he would listen to these lofty ambitions, but then he would say things like, okay, well, you want to be rich and famous, okay, and then what? Well, and then, then, I'll, and then I'll, I'll buy a house and I'll have a beautiful wife, okay, and then what? Well, and then I'll have a good job and I'll have some good money, okay, and then what? And then what? And then what? Pushing this, pushing this point here. What is it that you're hoping for? What is it that you're looking towards? What is it that is really your ultimate goal here? You can get here and here and here. You can get a nice career. You can have a nice house. You can have a beautiful spouse. But then what? What after that? Because we all know that after that looms this event of finality for all of us, death. And he was like trying to force the person to acknowledge this reality that's, wait, this reality that's waiting for them. This is a reality that's waiting for all of us. 
Okay. The specter of death is constantly hanging over us. Other saints have expressed it in different ways. For example, St. Cyprian said, We're all born with a noose around our neck, and life is just like you take off walking. You don't know how long your rope is, but each step brings you closer and closer to the end of your rope to when that noose is going to tighten. Or take another example from St. Alphonsus Liguori. He would ask this question, what would you think of a condemned man, a man that's been judged and tried and he's condemned to death by hanging, okay? And he, as he's walking out to the gallows here, to the hangman's noose, he's goofing around, hey, he's joking people in the audience, giving high fives, partying up, as he's walking on his way to his own execution. What would you think of such a man? You would think he's crazy, right? Well, he's coming up to his death. Why is he so, why is he so happy? Well, you know, this man has got to be crazy. And then St. Alphonsus Ligori asks, well, where are you headed and what are you thinking of right now? St. Alphonsus Ligori is, is pointing out that there's a little bit of that insanity in all of us, isn't there? That we're all, we're all on our way to death and we all are all thinking about other things, partying up sometimes, having a good, a good time, and etc. To summarize this point, Genesis reminds us that remember that thou art dust and to dust thou shalt return. So, death is a big problem. You can see how not just troubles in this life, but we also have this problem of death that takes away whatever good left over after you get past the first problem. So, for those who are thoughtful and think about it, at least insightful enough, I think you can see that this is kind of a, a problem. It's something that diminishes or de it can detract from your happiness in this world. Since death robs life, of any happiness it might bring. Now, some people may object to this argument this way. They may say, yeah, sure, death puts an end to life's goods, but it also puts an end to life's evils, too. That's true. You know, you won't suffer from disease anymore when you're dead, okay? But still, we can all admit that, for most of us anyway, dying is not better than, than living. Plus, there may be something else. There may be something else that even if death does put a, an end to life's evils, there very well could be afterlife evils, and that is the brings us to rather that brings us to the third problem, problem number three, the possibility of judgment. Have you ever thought about what will happen to you after you die? Is it just the end? How do you know? Jesus had an answer. Jesus of Nazareth had an answer. Now you maybe you don't think maybe you think he doesn't know what. Okay, so uh, I think I before we 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 move on, I wanted us to be clear on the points that um, he just made. All right, and we are dealing with the problem of happiness, and the goal of the problem of happiness is to help you understand that everybody does care about religion or care about you know the the existential or essential questions of life, you know that are answered in religion. And then he helps you to understand that if you think you don't care, all right, um, the question is, do you want to be happy? <laughs> all right? Um, do you want to be happy? And then he helps us to see that happiness is is all we call the pursuit of happiness is is the goal, is a goal that every human being can, you know, can bank on. And then you can see how he does dissect the, you know, the, the, the whole thing, all right? And I, I, I want to point to that, um, Thing he talks about which is the word next question that word next question because that's a powerful tool i think i was i i was it january this year or last year 
where we explain that that's actually a very powerful tool of evangelism to help a person reconsider, you understand, his life or his or her life. The fact that every single day, all right, you're heading more towards your own death and everything. Very depressing, I know, but it's life. Okay, so let's 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 continue. Let's continue. So about, but still, he did have an answer to this question that death was not the end of everything, that life would go on, but it would be very pleasant for some and horribly unpleasant for others. In other words, that at our deaths we were faced with a divine judgment. We had to answer to God for all of our actions and how we lived our lives. And those who had done so well and favorably would, of course, go to heaven. And those who had lived their lives in defiance to God's will would, of course, go to hell and, and to eternal hell fire. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people think that, oh, that's just fundamentalist preaching, etc. No, these are Jesus' own words, right? It's not just a fundamentalist preacher on the corner thumping his Bible. This is Jesus of Nazareth saying this, okay? This is not, this is not nothing uh, new or disputed. The fundamentalist preacher didn't, didn't make this up. It comes from the very words of Jesus Christ himself. So if you don't like it, you don't have an issue with the preacher on the corner, you got an issue with Jesus, okay? And maybe Jesus does, isn't who he said he was and you don't believe him, that's fine. That's, that's what this uh, course is all about, rather. But you still have ultimately have an issue with Jesus. Was Jesus wrong? Well, how do you know that? I mean, uh, have you looked into it? How much research have you done on this? That's why we're here talking about this in this course. But the point is here is if Jesus was right, if it is right that you got troubles in this life, and then so that's got that, that's an evil, and then you got death, and that's an evil. That that puts more uh, dampens your your happiness even more. But it may not be all. It may even get worse than that. There may be certain afterlife evils. You could lose your soul forever. In other words, if Jesus was right, it might not be safe to die. If you were to die right now, you might be in a world of pain, misery, and suffering if Jesus Christ himself knew what he was talking about. Well, will death be the end of all your... So the, the point here then is will death be the end of your problems? Well, you don't necessarily know that. It could get a whole lot worse. All right. Now, in response to this one, some people will say, well, yeah, I know, but, but you know what? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Yeah, everybody says that, right? Everybody's a good person. Compared to what? What standard? You know, well, they'll pick some easy standard. Well, I'm no Hitler. You know, I'm not Hitler, so therefore I'm good. Well, that, that's kind of self-serving, isn't it? I mean, pick, pick the most evil person you can think of and see, oh, look, I'm better than that guy. But you see. Um, but Jesus never said that God graded on a curve. Jesus never said only Hitlers go to hell. He didn't say that. He gave a lot of different uh, sins for by which, if one were to willingly commit, would, would cause them to, to lose their soul. So uh, even though a lot of people think that God grades on a curve, that wasn't the teaching, again, of Jesus of Nazareth himself. Now, I'm not claiming, now I want to, I want to make this point clear. I'm not claiming that there, you are going, that it's true right now that you're going to face judgment. I'm not claiming at this point that the judgment is true. What I am claiming, though, is that it could be true. There's a possible threat of divine judgment. And I think if, even if someone is thoughtful enough about that, even the mere possible threat of divine judgment is enough to undermine the happiness of those who are at least insightful enough to think about it and wonder about it. Because after all, 
if, if you end up in hell eventually, that's bad news for you and your, your happiness is gone forever. Okay. Now, I understand also there are people who don't think that the Christian religion is true. We'll talk about that later on. Just hold that thought for a minute. All right, to sum all this up, this is the bad news. This is the life sucks, then you die. But after that, it might get a whole lot worse. Number one, we've said your life contains suffering and evil. Number two, your death will put an end to all joys. And finally, number three, you might face a final judgment for all eternity after you die. All these things, we have some serious issues to resolve here. We have some problems here that, seem, like I said, on the face of it, seem to completely undermine any real and lasting happiness. And really, they undermine even those, at least, they at least detract from, even those momentary bouts of happiness too, don't they? Now, this is the problem of happiness. It is a threefold problem that sets us up for the next part. It's what are we going to do about it? What, given this is the case, this is the bad news. This is the case for depression. This is what we're all faced with. What should we do in response? Okay. Okay, so that's, that's the first part. Before we go into the second part, let me get let me get some feedback. What do you guys think about what you've just heard? What do you think about it? And, and how does that make you like feel? What does that do to you? Um, what does that do to you when we think about happiness and think about life? <laughs> All right. I think I also want to say it's sobering. Yeah, it's sobering. But what do you what what do you what do you think about it? Okay. Um, I mean, because this is important to think about, exactly, because everyone is pursuing, it's what everybody's, you're not pursuing happiness. Don't you want to be happy? I think everybody actually wants to be happy. It's the fundamental core thing. We want, I, if you don't want to be happy, I want to be happy. I with me. I, I want to be happy. And if you check all the things that you've done or your life gravitates towards, you see that those things have a kind of promise of happiness. Okay. For example, marriage. Okay. Many of you, why do you want to get married? If you are honest with yourself, the reason you want to get married is because you believe that marriage will make you happy. Am I lying? You actually believe marriage will make you happy. You understand what they believe. And uh truth be told ma marriage just like what he was saying those things <laughs> will give you those those bouts are you with me or why do you why do you go after money right why do you want money is it really money you want or you want the happiness that you believe that money brings right all right yes now because another reason why you want money is because you believe that money will bring control over things that bring unhappiness is it not true yes exactly yes things that you feel bring unhappiness so money is essential so if you check it you check that check, realize that your life is actually just an endless quest for or pursuit for happiness i just what is the, the what is the thing that will make me happy what even our our belief in god or our desire for a relationship with god in a sense you know if you if you be honest you may find out that there's a tendency in there to want God because you believe that God can make you happy. Are you seeing that? Uh -huh. To believe that God can make you happiness. Uh -huh. 
Uh, I say happiness, sorry, make you happy. <laughs> so so what says I want the happiness? <laughs> yeah, you get so it's the quest. It's if you check it, everything. Nobody wants pain, nobody wants suffering, everybody wants happiness. You want to be fine, you want to be cared for, you want to be, you want to enjoy happiness and enjoyment. I think they go together. You want to enjoy this life. You want to be happy with this life. And that's why that's why this question makes a very powerful point of engagement with those who may not believe in God. That's why it starts with it, because it's an equalizer, an equal playing field for everybody. Everybody wants to be happy. Is there anybody on this call that does not want to be happy? Can we know you? You know, can we get to know you? You don't want to be happy. You don't care about happiness in this life. To help with happiness. That's, you, that's happiness is business. You don't care if you're happy or not, right? <laughs> and if you think about even heaven, heaven, right? As you said, why do you want to go to heaven? Because heaven, in a sense, seems to promise happiness. Are you seeing that? Uh, <laughs> happiness. Are you seeing that? Yeah, exactly. Just think of anything in this life that you want. Why do you want it? realize that it's because of the happiness or joy that thing brings why do you want a new phone right why do you want a new phone even if you have one that works why do you want a new one think about it what what why do you want a new phone you want a new phone because aside from the features because you may have a perfectly working phone that works very well works okay but check deep down you still realize i still want another phone i want that iphone 14 is looking good I want the iPhone 14. I want that S22, S23, and everything. You get because somehow, somewhere, some someone is in better camera. The, the truth about it is that you may have a phone that has a very good camera already. You are saying better camera. Is it really the better camera, right? Is it really the better camera? In the end, it's just that many times we get these things because of that bout of happiness that we feel when we get it. You know, like how you get a new phone and then, you know, you unwrap it and everything, you look at it. You know, there's that feeling, there's that high that comes, that temporary high while it's still looking, my goodness, hey. And <laughs> like I said, better camera to take better pictures so you can be happy. <laughs> so you can be happy. You see that, you know, why do you want friendships? Why do you, if you check the, the pinnacle of your life is this desire to be happy. The fulcrum, the the center, you know, is that I want to be happy. Do you understand? And sometimes, why, why do we even want others around us to be happy? Why do we want friends to be happy and family to be happy? Why do we want them to be happy? We want them to be happy because their happiness makes us happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you check it, is 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 happiness exactly? It makes us happy. It makes us happy. So life is, if, if you look at that, you know, it's happiness is a drive, a major drive for humanity. And that's why you have the, the popular saying, do what makes you what? Happy. Right? Do what makes you happy. That's why you, you hear the, the world will tell you, do what makes you happy. We're not bringing on the equation. We're just talking about human desires. Human desires. Human desires. Do what makes you happy. All right. Uh -huh. What makes you happy? That's what the world will tell you. Do what makes you happy. And that, <clears throat> that's why you see, for example, um, somebody will get married because you thought you said you thought marriage will make you happy. You now got married and then you realize 
that you marry the devil. Well, which may not be true. It's just that you feel you marry the devil. All right? And then the devil you marry feels like the devil, that that devil married another devil. So two devils are there, you know, deviling each other and, and everything. And the next thing is that you now decide to watch soap operas and you see how Diego was with this other lady and then Paloma, he's married already, but he does this Paloma that he loves so much. And, you know, he realizes I'm not happy with um, Catalina, but Paloma makes me happy. So if I can leave Catalina and meet Paloma, I'll be happy. So that's what Diego does. He does all that. And then finally, you know, exactly, he leaves um, Catalina or whoever and then finds Paloma, marries Paloma. And then it ends there, you know? It ends there. We don't see... Because I'm sure if you have another season of it, you're going to find out that after a while, Paloma 2 will start expiring. You know? Paloma will start expiring and then you just... I'm not sure. I don't think I love... I don't think I love Sebastian. I don't think I... You know, that's the whole thing. Why? Because it's it's mostly emotions, right? People go on a, on a high, on a quest, <laughs> right on a quest on a high to to try to be happy i remember back then i had a friend who was was battling serious bouts of depression and um he would um his parents are very wealthy father was in government and stuff so he would go buy some nike air jordans that probably worth some maybe i mean if you check those shoes now and they're probably the original not the one that's floating around in a lab or whatever but the original of that shoe, that shoe is probably <laughs> 80,000. That's how much you probably find that kind of shoe for. All right, that's even a cheap one, you know, or the, the, the whatever. He would buy it and the idea was, oh my goodness, right? Buy it and he would just get high on it. First, one, two days after that, it would, it, it would fizzle out and then he's back to square one again and then he wants to go after nothing. Think about it. So it's a very major thing to, when you engage people, it's it's an important thing that you must ingrain in your soul that realize people's quest is that they just want to be happy. People just want to be happy. And people will do what it takes to be happy. That's why you find someone that is extremely beautiful, all right? But because you see your beauty cannot take you all the way. Your beauty cannot make you happy. However, for example, there's some people here that I don't like. Maybe you love, you like your looks. You like the way you look. You really like your looks, right? You pride yourself in, in the fact that you look good, all right. But <laughs> you, but you, if you are honest with yourself, that those are your looks. Is it every time you feel that way? No. There are times when you still look at yourself or compare yourself with other people. Like you still realize that even what you feel is there that is happy, it still doesn't make you happy. <laughs> it doesn't make you happy. You still keep comparing yourself. You still keep checking. If only I was thinner. You know, if only I was taller, if only I, my eyes were more like this, if only I had blue eyes, if only this, if only I was half Nigerian, half Chinese, if only I was this. You just keep on going on that quest. You just keep on going on that quest. The quest of happiness is a an endless, insatiable quest. All right? And then also, it also reveals the emptiness of it. The emptiness of it. All right? The fact that nothing in this life can actually make you truly happy. Everything in this life makes you temporarily happy. They cannot make you truly happy. Children cannot make you truly happy. They, everything is fleeting. Do you get it? And that's the point he's trying to put across. Another thing he mentions is the fact that, all right, that, that okay, he starts to talk about, okay, if, if happiness is the quest, then we see that there are too many things that can destroy the happiness. All right? 
just the very thought <laughs> about the fact that your happiness can be taken away from you. Anything natural in this world you put your faith in can leave you like that. All right? Think about Job. All right? Think about Job. Job's happiness was destroyed in just one or two, three days. All right? Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. The, their happiness was so destroyed that Lot's wife just had to look, be, look, look back. The angel said, don't look back. But because she's like, man, I just settled here, my goodness. Man, I just bought a Shwebi. I was already attending, you know, my friend's daughter's wedding. I, I already, you know, she had already captured the, the like, ah, man, come on. My daughter's about to, because I think her daughter, their children were, had husbands or something like that. I, we just did the, we just did the natural things. And then she just couldn't take it. So she looks back and she turns the pillar of salt. You get, so happiness as you if your happiness is based on any of those things all right there's always a potential that your happiness can be ripped away from you just think about it that your fine phone that you're guarding so well you you know if, if you're someone like me i grew up in the era of computer village i don't really do computer village anymore but those days when you are heading to computer village it was like you have to be smart that almost robbed that computer village before i have friends who have been robbed that computer village before so you have to be smart when you walk there and all that stuff so there's a way i grip my phone my pocket although it was the same area that one of my phones my note 4 back then when note 4 was raining was stolen you understand but the point is it's your phone can be stolen just like that just like that it doesn't have to be stolen it can just go missing <laughs> it's not you okay no problem no problem no problem. Can can go missing, right? Just just like that. If you think your face is so beautiful, you can have a breakout of different kinds of things on your face, right? Yes, just like that. Boom, your day is gone. Your day is your day is ruined. All right, that your fine hair can something can happen to it. All right, your laptop can be, you know, uh, <laughs> we if we keep on going, or your if you find fulfillment in your parents, oh my parents, they can die any moment. They can die. All right, so he starts bringing hella <laughs> recessions. So he starts bringing the issue of 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 the fleeting or temporalness of things, and you know this also helps you understand why it is madness for the unbeliever because the unbeliever goes after natural things as a default. That is what his life is about: natural things. Because you see, God is supposed to be a reason for living, and He's going to come there, but but because you know god is not the you remove god then you now have to use other things to give yourself a reason for living but the thing is the things you are using are fleeting all right they are fleeting family is fleeting children are fleeting uh what, what do you want to use money is fleeting i have a friend that paid for a house <laughs> paid for a house living in the house then one flood came and boom the house was flooded. Or did you not see this flood that just happened recently? That every day we're not talking about anymore. People were just living their best lives. You get? They've already planned some things. Imagine people have built houses, literally. People have built houses. Imagine you finish hustling. You thought, okay, when I build a house, that house will make me happy. I'll be happy, you know. At least I have my house. You dedicated the house. The whole church came. They poured the pastor came and poured oil. Spoke about the house. This house, in the name of just nothing will happen to this house. Back, 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 back. I said everything. After everything they said, when the flood came, as if they just like the Bible said, the 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 and you built the house on, on you didn't build it on sand though, you built it on rock. You built it, but the flood came. Now what happened? The house, the ballad. From nowhere, 
Imagine that. How much did you invest in that house? Think about it. To build a house, you probably invested like 30, 40 million to build that house. After all the wahala, after all the work, after all the effort you put into the house, did everything in the natural. She does what was supposed to do now in the natural, Abby. Was supposed to at least get to a point where you can buy land, you're a big boy, you build a house, you had your two cars there in the compound, you had your children, a flood came and wiped out, wiped away everything. Of course, your two cars have, are gone, the house itself is gone, your children were in the house, so they are also gone, you two you are gone. Everything just ended in one go, one sweep like that. So <laughs> yeah, and that was supposed to be your pride and joy. And the list goes on and on and on of the, the evils, that the fact that the evils in this life alone are enough reason to kill your happiness. The evils, the problems of this life are enough to kill your happiness. You run a business, the next thing, you know, the government comes up with a policy. Like now, are you aware of the new policy, that they've, the whole the new policy that they've brought, they brought up, which is the fact that you cannot withdraw a certain amount, right? Do you know with that policy, they have killed millions of businesses just by that policy? They have just killed their businesses that businesses are like, for example, POS businesses and so on. They've just killed a bunch of businesses just by that decision. You understand? So you, you start to see how fleeting and how temporal life just is. Life is just fleeting temporal. And then, of course, you know, talks about the problem of death. So you may say, eh, but after so suffering, and okay, he spoke about disease, sickness and disease. Well, we know, thank God, this is talking, this, you are, his reasoning is more about if you meet somebody who is just there and doesn't see a need for God, doesn't see a need for religion or anything and all that, these are the things you bring to the person. These are the points that you bring to the person. You help them to see, okay, uh, fine, you don't, you don't care, but you care about happiness. I'll be say, yes, okay, good. So how is your happiness quest going for you? How is it going for you? Person, I'm, I'm trying my best to be happy. You now start bringing these ones up. Person says, eh, but we'll manage in this life. We'll manage. Say, okay, how about that? Because you think if you think, okay, yeah, yeah no, no, wala, we, there are good things in life to offset the. Say no, wala, yeah, how about that? When you die, now, not even when you die, just the idea that you can die is enough to just make you just just go and sit down. Because think about it. If you can die at any moment, then why are you working so hard? Yeah. Let's think about that. If death, right? If if death can come at any moment, right? Then what is the point of life? What's the point of working so hard? Yes. What is the point of your beauty? Let me go to beauty again. What's the point of that your beauty that you are you are you are you are doing so much? That is you you've invested so much, all your skincare products, all the things you have done, you you make sure that you don't oil your face, you know, you remove all the natural oils that are on your face, you you do everything <clears throat> they say you should do. You rub this one, rub that one, your skin is glowing, your skin is we can see our reflection on your skin everything you've done everything they say you should do for the skin everything the skin is shiny yeah like an egg but you can die tomorrow so 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 <laughs> sleep with only white lights can you imagine you know they do that one but then what's the point when you will just die oh you have to oil and moisture you see i don't know all these things you that you know now but you can die with all the with all the knowing you know you can just die 
That's the point. You, you can just you can just die. So it now begs the question. So what is the point <laughs> of that? Because why why are you doing all the oiling thing? You are doing it to make yourself happy. I hope you know people. We don't really care about your face and what your face looks like. We don't care if you're happy. We don't really care. You are doing it so that you can feel happy, or because you probably feel that people are noticing that, and that if your face looks better in your eyes, or they won't they won't notice that, and then that makes you happy. But the point is, you can just die. So if 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 you can just die, then what's the point of all the adornment? Some people walk out, you know. I'm not against walking out. Let's walk out. Glory to God. Let's be healthy. Let's live long. All right. But the natural man walk, walk out, walk out, go to the gym, pump that iron. You understand? Now some ladies doing butt squats in Ghana, for example. When you see a small girl, they make you sit down inside bucket to shape your bum bum. It's true. <laughs> to shape your oh, go to Ghana. You will see some things that are very unnatural. You will see some protrusions that are are not normal. They're not natural. They have been shaped scientifically since they were children. They sit down in that bucket. Shut up, sit down in that bucket. Because, of course, the butt has to be big so that you can attract the man and stuff like that. Yes. All that stuff. They, oh, oh, you don't, you don't know. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. People do things like that. Why? Because, it's, again, it's this happiness quest. <laughs> Shattered Jesus, don't worry. Hey, go to your guardian friend, ask them. They sit inside. I don't say all of them, but it's a custom. That's how you go there. You will see some kinds of uh, shapes of, of protrusions that are just not believable to the natural man. You know, they, you, don't, they are, you see what your eyes don't believe. <laughs> Let me leave it like that. Exactly. But again, it's, it's still all this stuff. But well, why do we make such effort? All right. Why do we put such effort? Why do we put such? And again, as I said, remember this conversation is 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 being had like it's like a if you're having it with a natural man. Are you with me? We as Christians, we already know our own background. We know where we're headed. We know some of the answers to these things. But if you look at life, what is the essence of life? If all this can be taken away like this, boom. Yes, you know, just because you are pretty does not mean dare to pass you. Say no, no, no. Ah, it's true. Death is just going. They want to say, ah, that girl. Ah, say she fine, sure. Death is just pause. No, she fine. Leave her, leave her, leave her. Let, let us pass over. You know, there's no blood, but let's pass over. Don't worry, she fine, she fine. Ah, how you, how you feel kill this kind of person? Why be like, let's pass, let's pass. They just leave you alone. Of course, they are so handsome. Rodriguez. Eh? Your, your chest is as big as, Yeah. Your, your your lips drip honey and you speak like that. You charm the angels. Then to just say, ah, you don't see that guy his back. No, no, he's not supposed to kill that kind of person. Let's pass over. And they leave you alone. And now, that's the truth. <laughs> so, none of those things. Yeah. Or, or is it your world? You know, your wealthy. Uh, yeah. You know, that my own is that, although I feel death is very partial when it comes to people like Bill Gates and why they have not died yet. Or some other people that I think about, like why does death miss some certain people? I don't know why it does. There are some people who are just evil. Why death tends to miss such people is a is a mystery. All right, it's a massive mystery. You understand? Uh huh. So we 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 don't know why. So sorry. Hold on, please hold on. Okay. So 
right? So that, that's the that's that's where we're heading to. You have to understand why this question is a very serious issue. All right, death. Just the thought of death that you can die at any point undermines anything you're doing. Anything you're doing. Oh, I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to get my master's. What's the point? Have you not seen people that got the master's and died the next day? Or people that the day before they got the master's, they died? <laughs> Have you not seen that before? Yes. Some people is the wedding, the wedding day they slumped. Yes. Because like carry marriage on your head like that. Yes. Some people the, the day they, they slumped. So <laughs> oh yeah, I say slumps get go and check now. Yes. That was the day before the person slumped. The day before they kidnapped and killed. You know, no. So just just the thought of it all right is enough to and that's why you see the atheist is a very i'm sorry but atheism is a very dishonest position because you see in atheism even that's why he says even the possibility let's just not even say christianity is true let's not say religion or anything is true. let's not just say god but if there is a possibility that it is true then it makes your whole position as an, as an it's a stupid one it makes a stupid position because if there's a possibility that there is a god if there's a possibility that that it's true that there's an afterlife if there's a possibility like why do we want to gamble all right so you live your life like there's no god you've convinced yourself there's no god you've convinced yourself that when you die that um that that is it i had a conversation with somebody recently and and the person you know we're talking and person says that he or she believes that once you that your your mind is just your brain and that once you die and that's the end that is it that there's nothing else after life after this to which i ask the person how do you know yes what's your evidence what's your proof how do you know because if there is even the possibility that you are wrong, then I think you are <laughs> you are you are treading on dangerous waters. Can you imagine you this telling say, uh, "There's no God, there's no God, there's no God, there's no God." I see by saying it a thousand times, it will be it will be true. There's no God, 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 there's no God. You keep on saying, you know, there's no God. Oh, there's no God. You keep on saying that. There's no God. 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 When I die, nothing. There will be nothing. When I die, there will be nothing. Nothing. When I die, there will be nothing. Nothing. When I die, there will be... So, I'm just trying to understand. Imagine you, you say that long enough. And then, after you finish all that, you now die. I'm just trying to imagine what that looks like. For the person, there's no God. There's no God. I really wonder what that looks like. I was on Twitter the other day. Oh, Twitter is just toxic. But I was on Twitter the other day, and um, someone was, someone there was like this, you know, all these things they say, okay, yeah. I think we need to be on Twitter maybe 20 minutes a day and then ball out for, this, for the sake of your sanity. I think so. But anyway, the person was asking, uh, like, Oh, they were asking what is one extraordinary thing that's happening in your life or whatever. And the person now 
but when so and so that they put tag the person was pray prayed over me and when i when i i died and so and so prayed over me and um <laughs> said 20 is too much you know and i and so this is what she described that she's immediately that one moment she's there slumped right life is living at the next moment she's outside her body outside looking at her body and the person that pray holding her hand and praying with her like she's outside her body and then the next moment she's back in her body and she can feel the warmth of the person's hand what do we call that we call that an obe out of body experience out of body experience yes and just that idea that thought that it <laughs> Because the person I was talking to, I said, there's no, there's nothing after. I said, do you know what they call OBEs? Out-of-body experiences. Are you aware of what that is? That are usually caused by NDEs, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences. Do you know what that is? Where all over the world, apparently there's a phenomenon of, and there are many people, and I'm sure if we ask questions here, you may have one person in this whole place, one or two, that have probably experienced that before where something has happened in your life where you almost died or something in some cases maybe you actually did but you came back and you you would you would found yourself maybe out of your body right looking into your body looking at your body looking at your surroundings but you were not in your body this is something that has been captured all over the world there's is no respect of tribe culture it has been captured all over the world go to any group you probably find one or two people that has happened to where they are they came out they were out of their bodies so that that one alone and then that is this that one that we have people who have taken scientific like observations of these things where they've interviewed people who have who it has happened to where their hearts have been stopped in fact some cases they can even induce it where they stop the person's heart to a point then the person now then they bring the person back and the person starts to recount or more when this happened, this is what happened. There's a case where the lady or the person, usually what happens like when when their heart like stops or almost stops, they find themselves out of their body. In many cases, brain activity is zero. So if you say your brain is you, is your conscious alive? Because brain activity is dead. The monitor tells you that brain activity, you understand, is completely dead. Yes, it's gone. And then it's brain activity is zero. But yet, the person will tell you, I was still alive. I was out of my body. I was floating over my body. I saw you, the doctor, when you when when you said this and that. There are things that you should not know because your brain activity is zero. Like, you're not in the room. You are dead. They, some cases, the heart... In fact, many, well, in many cases, the heart has stopped beating. Heart has stopped beating. Zero brain activity. This person is dead. There was a case where they thought the person was dead or something or was in a coma or whatever and a doctor and a nurse came into the room and you know were making love because they thought you know they came in and were doing nonsense because actually the person is dead and all that stuff the, meanwhile the person was there <laughs> looking at them saw the whole thing <laughs> yes in some cases they will actually go they will even go beyond there they will go to the next room and they will see what's happening in the next room. They will tell you, because when they come out to their bodies, they start recounting it. They will tell you how that doctor, you know, uh, this doctor so-and-so was in the next room. He was, he said this and this and this. He had a blue pen in his pocket. Da, 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 da. They will recount. One person went up 
up and floated above the, the, the hospital, hospital building, and saw a shoe, a red shoe, on the roof. One leg of a uh, red shoe on the roof. Then, when they came back, they went and checked, they saw the shoe. There are documentations of this stuff. There are documentation of this stuff. This stuff is real. This is not, oh, I'm a Christian, so it happened to me. No. I'm talking about Buddhists, atheists, all the East, all of them. It has happened, different cultures, different, it happens, yes. Yes, for someone that will tell you that, no, there's no such thing as, you know, we, well, once we, we die, that's it. You know, it's not true. Because if that is true, that means that there is an existence beyond your body. Yeah. It's an existence beyond your body. <laughs> you are not just your body. In fact, let me say you are not your body. Your body is a house. Yes. So does the possibility that there's an afterlife kills the whole idea of atheism? Because what do you, what, what is that after like who who of yes obviously it has, it has to do with the father there's a god there's a god you, you understand as that's what he's saying he's telling you that death and the idea of death alone undermines whatever you call happiness especially if you are the kind of person who does not have a hope after that death the kind of person that says no there's no and you just the no, death is just a number. You hear some people with, you know, you have some very stupid songs. There's this other guys, you know, in those days, was you know them, who else, who was his name, his rapper, you know, say talk about hell. What what the hell is that? Uh, say I'm a dying with the devil, and uh, I'm like, if we don't know Jack of what you are saying, you you I you don't you don't know what you are talking about, you know. Some people, I say, no, 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 hell is, you know, uh, no, hell is, you know, you know, there's nothing, it's chill, man, we're going to party. So there is a, uh, is a, I'm going to, what is this, it's not Uncle Wayne that's talking about how he's going to, is he chase the devil out or something like that? You know, like, you have all those people who just make fun of that, but you don't, you don't have an, you don't get, <laughs> you, you don't understand. So all these things you know, undermine that idea because that means that death is not the end. So imagine, for example, the unsaved person who feels like this life is just this, this you know, I, I just can't take it anymore and all that stuff. I just want to. And then the guy ends his life. He thinks it's the end. No, it's just the beginning, bro. That's what makes suicide so horrible, especially suicide by a person who is not born again. That's what makes it so horrible. You think it's the end. It's not the end. You think your suffering has ended. No, your suffering is just about to begin. Are you seeing that? So death totally destroys that idea of happiness. Like, And that's why he said, if you think about it, every day is leading to your death. Every single day is leading towards to your death. Every day. Every single day is leading towards your death. So that means, and and another, I think another phrase he puts is that there's no that the one thing that is most certain is death. It's certain to everybody that everyone would die, but what is most uncertain is when you will die. So when you will die, I don't know. There's this um, movie in those days. I never really watched it because it's just rubbish. Rubbish is in that. Why would you make such a thing? Final destination. I don't know how many of you used to torture yourselves with that stupid thing. Called Final Destination. They had part one, two, three, four, five, where people just die. It's just a movie of people just dying. <laughs> Batman said, Yes. Yes. 
Jesus, <laughs> I will not die in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank God, you have a hope. You have a hope. You see that? Because you see that the problem of happiness is actually answered if the Christian faith actually answers the problem of, the problem of happiness. But for the man who doesn't have a hope or faith in Jesus Christ, this is absolutely devastating. If he is rational, logical, and thinking, this can totally destroy. See, this can be the cause of depression. Some people's depression is still in kindergarten. You know, proper depression comes as a result of contemplating the infinite. When you sit down and really think of the essentials of life, it will make you depressed when you don't have an answer. Because all we have many people doing is that they start to look for their own answers or try to give themselves an answer. No. So sit down, you sit down and think these things that they just said to you, you know, we can, because we are Christians, we are not Yopi. If you are not born again and you are really thinking, I mean, honestly, yourself, and we ask these questions, you won't sleep this night. You won't sleep. Yes. Every day you live is a day that is closer to your death. So all this fine, 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 fine girl, fine, fine, everything you have done in your life. You know, you've taught yourself to speak well, to sit well. You've gotten abs. Thank God for your life, you know. You sat in bucket your whole life. Everything You've done everything that they say you should do. You've made money. Tech bro, Texas. Exactly. All is vanity. You've done everything. I, when we see you, you are the alpha, you know, that is, you are, you are the peak of your, <laughs> of your existence. You are the peak. <laughs> but yet... You know, death, no, they respect person. Actually, we know who death respects anyway. But, you know, for the man who is not saved, right? Death does not respect you. It doesn't respect you. It doesn't respect you. It doesn't. So it makes it futile. It just makes it pointless. It makes it empty. You built a multi billion dollar empire, billions of dollars. $500 billion. It's your name. You even live to be 80, 90. If you like, push it to be 99, 100. You will still go. You cannot stay here forever. You will still go. Then the question is, what is that? What was all that for? What was all that wealth for? You know, when you understand this, we can use, we can teach, you know, God's plan for your money from this particular thing. You see? No, 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 Emerald, I was, I'm talking about this from the perspective of the man who is not, you know, saved. We'll come to the man who is saved. But to the man who is not saved, there is no point. That's what someone mentioned Ecclesiastes. And it's true, there's, there's no point, really, if you think about it. For the rich fool, the Bible says he stacked everything. The guy was so wealthy, stacked, had so much, stored all his grain. The guy was a billionaire. But then business was boom. The economy was doing well. And he had these extra billions coming in. The guy said, what will I do? I have all this. I said, you know what? I'll, I'll build bigger bands in today's world. Maybe I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll start my own bank so I can gather all this my money inside some one place. I'll, that is, and then I'll sit down and relax. I'll say, look, guy, you've tried. Relax. Take it easy. Enjoy your life. And then God said, your soul is required of you this night. It just tells you or shows you the futility or the vanity of living for things. Yes. And that's why in Christendom, we don't value, we, we, the, the value of your Christian life is in your ability um, or what we value as Christians is your ability to let go of natural things. 
not that you is bad to have them but the fact that you must never be attached to natural things because they are vain they are pointless they are meaningless you know so asking if christianity answers the question of happiness then what about the selfish part of being happy well can we can we actually say that that desire, the desire to be happy is in will be a natural human desire after all, when we say it, think about it, it's not, yeah, there's a selfishness to it, all right? But you now see, in, in class in Christianity, what happens? We place our, we place our happiness or our happiness is subjected to the Lordship of Christ. In other words, our happiness is not the ultimate goal. Are you seeing that being a Christian, your happiness is not the ultimate goal. That's why the philosophy of the world that, said, do, do, that says, do what make you, makes you happy is a very selfish thing. So if if I if if yes now if if sex would make me happy I can rape you so that I can be happy you understand if if um if money will make me happy then if you have the money and you don't want to give it to me then I can actually club you to death and take your money so I can be happy right yes so that's the problem with that idea that if you do if you know you realize that that's why your appetites are not are, are given to you to be to be to be put under paul will say i put my body under your appetites and desires are given to be controlled so happiness does not become the ultimate pursuit for the believer do you get what i'm saying yes you are given a greater objective or you find your significance, your worth, your fulfillment, or your, even your happiness in God, not, not, in, um, not for yourself. That's why the life of the Christian is the life of self-cancellation. Because if not, what happens is that your happiness becomes your God. Are you seeing that? Your happiness becomes your God. Your, your number one quest is me. What makes me happy? What I want? Selfishness. Are you seeing that? But in Christianity, what do we do? We die to self. We deny self. Are you understanding? Yeah. So I was asking, is there, um, is there any beauty in death? All right. <laughs> For the man who is not saved, there's no beauty in death. Nothing about death. But the Bible calls death an enemy. Death was never the intention. God sees death as an enemy because death was never supposed to be an equation. For man, death was never supposed to be an equation. God did not create death. Are you seeing that? He's not responsible for death. Death through one man, sin entered the world, and was death by sin, and death passed on all men for what all have sinned. And that was death was never a part of the equation for man. So death became an a, death became a result. As we always like to say, God never, there was never any option for man to live outside of the Lordship of God. There was never any option for man to live outside of the life of God. So when man decides to live out of the Lordship and life of God, what happens? The answer or result of that is death because there is no provision for you to live outside of God. So what will happen for those who are outside is that death will be the result. What will happen is that the, the, the place of the dead is going to be where you go when you don't want God, when you reject God, you say, I don't want. That's what we, <laughs> someone calls that the dustbin. That's what we are. Also, we throw products that are faulty. It's true because the man that is supposed to, the way... Or, or the properly functioning man is the man that has the life of God, the man that is under the lordship of Christ or Lord lordship of God. So, the what do you call a product that re, that, that refuses to follow the prompts and commands of this creator? What do you call an iPhone that refuses to work? 
you make an iPhone and the iPhone refuses to follow the prompt for which it was made. You press it, it's not working. You see lines all over the place, it's dancing. You try to make a phone call, it goes open Snapchat. What do you say about that kind of phone? It's malfunction. What what do you do with that kind of phone? You throw it in a dustbin. So that's what hell is for. Yes, it's, it's a dustbin. It's actually where you throw products that are malfunction, that refuse to function properly. They are <laughs> rebellion. Yes, that's what the rebellions do. It's a dustbin. Those who are without, who don't want, it's a dustbin. In fact, one of the words used for hell is Gehenna. All right? Gehenna was actually like a... Um, it was a refuge place where you know refuge, one of these dumping sites for refuge in ancient Israel culture and everything. There was this place where dumping site, you know, refuge that you dump and then what do you do? You burn it. Yeah, exactly. So that's the same idea. That's why hell has that burning typology and everything. So you throw refuge there, they only do refuge, you burn it. Yeah, so that's that's where that idea is 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 coming from. <laughs> if you if you get what I'm saying, that's where the idea is coming from. So that's exactly that's where we throw products so that's where so that's what it, it really is you know so there's no beauty in death actually because death is not of god are you with me your death is not of god there's no really no beauty in death all right um okay well for the believer i guess there is some beauty in the sense that death now becomes um um especially when it is you, you are you you choose to <sighs> Okay, one of the things that we see as a as a as a um Jesus starts like this, he says, if any man will come after me, he must first of all deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says, if you don't hate father, mother, brother, sister, family, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying that even your life. All right, is not as important as my assignment or my purpose. Are you seeing that? So that means you are not going to put anything. You shall have no other God before me. You shall put nothing before me. You get God is the primary, the priority. So even if my my life is on the line, all right, or 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 how will I say it? My life is no more important than the purpose of God or the will of God. You understand? Yes, that's actually what we sign up for in Christianity. That if we get to a point whereby our life is on the line, we will not, our lives will not be a priority for, to us. God will be the priority, not our lives. So, in that sense, there is a beauty. We call it martyrdom. There's a beauty to death in that sense, where your life can become a sacrifice, you know, for the cause of God. It's actually one of the greatest things you can do. That's why the Bible tells us that there's going to be a crowd for martyrs, people who lay down their lives. Because you see, if you think about it, there is nothing more expensive than your life to you. And so the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that a man what lays down his life for his friends. Because there's nothing more expensive than life, than your life. So if you can lay down that life, right, what does that tell you? That means you just lay down the most valuable thing you have you can lay your money down and that's the, the call to christianity to, to 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 christ where christ is lord so there's nothing that you cannot give to christ because he gave you everything he laid down his own life he set the example all right what was most dear to him he gave it to you or he gave it for you so that now becomes a template an example for us 
that that thing that was most precious to him that he laid down for you, you also laid down for him. I mean, think about it. If you can lay your life down for God, what else can you not give God? Is your time you cannot give God? Is your money you cannot give God? Is your family you cannot give God? You see that? So that's the format, you see. But you see, this makes sense to us because we are Christians. But if you take away this hope we have, we take away this faith we have, you take it away and leave it bare bones to somebody who doesn't believe in God, then what do they have? Since their quest is just to be happy. Everything they are doing is to be happy. They marry to be happy. They have children to be happy. They make money to be happy. You now see the Christian faith whereby a man can have nothing, yet he's happy. He may not have status in, in life, but the Bible says he is known of God. He's happy. Are you seeing that? Maybe in prison. You have Paul and Silas thrown inside jail at midnight. What are they doing? They're singing praises to God. Does that make sense? Doesn't make sense. And to the man who doesn't have God as a reason for living, that doesn't make sense to him. Why, why are you praising God? Then the same Paul will say, rejoice in the Lord. Always again, I say rejoice. That's always. He says, in all things, give thanks. Why, why should I do that? Why should I rejoice when things are going bad for me, when I'm suffering, when I'm in pain, right? Why should I rejoice when life just looks like it's just bascos? Why should I, why should I be happy? Are you seeing that for the Christian, you now start to see that life for the Christian, your happiness becomes independent of your circumstances. Because your happiness and fulfillment is found in, in God. God becomes, because why? Because God is your reason for living. Are you seeing that? So these are some concepts that we're going to be exploring, all right, as we go on. We're going to be exploring as we go on. But that's why this is a very, I, I'm, I'm going through it so that we think it through, do you get? And not just so, oh, that was sounded, that sounded deep or sounded interesting, no. Think it through, why? Because it's gonna be very, very essential when you meet unbelievers. And when you talk to people in school, in class and all that stuff, it's, it's this thing here. And then you have the, the other guy with the then what question, which to me is one of my favorite ways of actually evangelizing, which is the then what, then what? Why? What does then what do? When you say, oh, um, see somebody, oh, how are you? I look like a very nice guy. Oh, my, you're an athlete. My goodness. You're, okay, what do you, um, <clears throat> um, what do you want to, what do you want to do with your life? Oh, I want to be, I want to be the next Ronaldo. You say, oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. How are you going to get there? Oh, I'm going to work very hard. I say, okay, okay, good. Then what? Um, after that, you know, after I get that, you know, I'm going to, you know, get to the Premier League or whatever, and then uh, they're going to start paying me da, 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 in dollars. And, okay, wonderful. Then what? Then I'm going to marry maybe when I'm 40, and I'm going to have some kids. and da, 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 da. Okay, then what? Then I'm going to have the Ballon d'Or. Da, da. Then what? We keep on pushing it and pushing it to the point that you have to die. Because there's no way we will not push it to the point that you have to die. You have to die. <laughs> so we'll push you there to your death. Then what? Do you get anybody that is thinking properly will immediately see the futility of everything he just said. So after all that, after I collected the Ballon d'Or and, and then, uh, then what? And I'll die. Then, then what? You see the emptiness of that? Very empty. It just shows you how empty, empty life is. 
how futile life is. You know? <laughs> Just shows you that, that, that thing. You know? That emptiness. Then what? Very powerful, powerful. It causes it f- because you know it now tells you that 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 with the way life that Satan. One of the things that Satan has done is that Satan has actually sought to use pursuits, natural things, and and physical pleasures, natural pleasures to blind people to their ultimate end. Are you seeing that? That is like a trap. When this kind of you know matrix, if I may use it that way whereby the the matrix is supposed to make you it's supposed to make you it's supposed to give you something else to live for other than reality you're not supposed to wake up from the matrix you are supposed to be busy activities doing lots of things you know running up and down i'm doing this i'm doing that oh baby dedication is here oh wedding is here this one that one supposed to do things in the natural that just seem you know good and noble and nice to distract you from the ultimate end. Because people who don't say, eh, eh no wala. Have you heard people say, oh, eh, don't worry, when I'm when I'm eh, when I'm this thing, I will serve God. When I'm 60, I'll serve God. When I'm older, I'll serve God. I think it was Tupac Shakoda. That. That's what he, he went. The, the story goes that um he went to a boxing match as this guy, this Ivan Holyfield or so. I think is that the guy that beat my thighs or whoever. But that guy, you know was a Christian and evangelized to him. And the guy said, look, now I know this thing I'm saying is true and everything, but men, the women, the, this, that, that, men, the girls, the, the this, that, the, that, and all that. But I, I, I believe what I say, no, I will, I will come around. But what happens, not long after that, the guy is killed. So the, what happened? The deceitfulness, the Bible calls it the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, those things, those natural things, the, the allure of natural things. If you think about it right now, right? Um, did I say he believed? That's the question. Huh? He knows he's right. He doesn't, I didn't say he believed it. Someone's asking me, you know, but he didn't say he believed it and everything. But it, it so this paints a picture to you of the kind of you know world that everything is just you know things are temporal and that's why that's how Paul paints it that that it's temporal the world we live in everything is temporal everything is temporal you understand and that's why you see everything the scriptures has to do is set your mind on heavenly things in other words the only things that should matter to you the most are the things that have an eternal relevance what does that mean it means that anything that you are doing or any activity you are involved in this life that does not have an eternal relevance that will not matter after you die is supposed to be a secondary pursuit, not a primary pursuit. In other words, in life, there are priorities. There are things that are supposed to be first and things that are supposed to be second or third or fourth or fifth. And what should be first is what's kingdom. Why? Because kingdom will matter after you die. But whatever doesn't matter after you die, it will be insanity if that is your reason for living or your priority. It will be insane. Because we're all counting down to death. That's the truth. We're all counting down to death. We're all counting down to death. And I, I think sometimes this doesn't hit home until 
it happens to you in the sense that you experience someone, the death of someone around you. I don't know if you're here and you've it's happened to you where someone, a loved one or whatever, someone died around you, someone that you valued or you knew well and all that the person just died. You know, there's one where someone has distant that you've heard of the person, you saw the person was died, but the person you're not close to, the person dies, you, it doesn't hit home. But when the person is close to you, personal and stuff, and the person dies, you know, I think that that gives a very strong, um, you know, a very, very strong impression of, of what we are saying. Very, very strong impression of what I say. The fact that death is 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 real, you know. And that when you die, then the question is what happens to everything you're doing. And again, as you said, we all no one nobody believes, nobody is supposed we all we all do the God forbid card. We don't want to die tomorrow. But the question is if you die tomorrow and they do an and we do an evaluation of your life, the question is what counts, what matter in everything you are doing. What can we say in all your think of all your activities, everything you're doing, what you use your money for, your time for everything? What can we say actually um, follows you? What counted in this short span of life that you've lived? What counted? You know, yes, because your death is actually what gives you clarity or the idea or thought of your death is what gives clarity to your life. The thought of your death is what gives meaning to your life because death becomes a yardstick. You now use, boom, okay, good. So everything, anything that cannot cross over after my death should not be my priority. Are you seeing that? Anything that cannot cross over after my death should not be my priority. So you ask yourself, look at all the activities I'm, 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 I'm doing. This or that one, that one, that one, that one. All that. What is going to matter? You know, it's things like this uh, that when you come back to time, you now realize why sometimes it's... <laughs> if you... Okay, so let's do this. A friend's wedding is about to hold. Yes, but you have a, you have a service. There's a, a church service or a meeting. A spiritual meeting is supposed to be in and maybe ignite or whatever, something like that. And then your friend, a friend has a wedding. Of course, with permission, that's fine. But if you wait the two before God, a wedding and a church service, right? Or a wedding and evangelism. A wedding and then oh, we're supposed to go to hospital to pray for the sick. It's not bad when it's once in a while, but I'm saying if you take those two things, because some people that see they want to die on top wedding or events, or bed days or whatever, if you take those two events and put away eternally, which one stands? Obviously, it's not the wedding. It's not the wedding. Nothing wrong with weddings. Do you understand? But the point is that when we, now, when we prioritize, when we prioritize, so the, the Christian is supposed to live his or her life by priorities. By what? Priorities. You are supposed to prioritize. In other words, there are things in your life that must take first place, no matter what. That must take first place. Why? Because they will matter when you cross over. And you can cross over tomorrow. Of course, with long life, you know, nobody's going to die here, glory to God. But the point is having that in your mind, that look, you know, I will eventually die. And some people die earlier than others, by the way. Yeah. 
Some people die earlier than others. So if you die tomorrow, if you die this night, at this some people, <laughs> some people will go on a repenting spree this night. Say, Father, wherever I've offended you, aha, what's going to matter? Are you seeing that? Aha. There's something that pastor will say. The pastor says that if you notice that life is not about most of the things that we think are serious in life. Life does not count down to those things. You know, life is not a countdown towards your wedding. Let me keep on saying wedding. Life is not a countdown towards your wedding. Some of you, the way you have exalted at your wedding and placed it there, your wedding has become the 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 pinnacle of your life. Whereby if you don't do it, like it's as if all hell will break loose. But the truth is, people have been getting married. In fact, the day of Noah, the Bible tells you in the book of Matthew, that when the flood came, people were getting, it says it there clearly, people were being married and given in marriage. I'm sure there's a reason they use marriage because marriage is supposed to be this major event for most people. It says people were married and being given in marriage till Noah entered the ark and the flood came out and took them all away. In other words, the people that were getting married, they were, some people were tearing Turkey when the flood came. They were living life, yet they were not in the center of what life should have been about. <laughs> Glory to God. So this is something to ponder on. For the Christian, what does it do for us? It gives us a focus. It gives us, makes us, allows us to be circumspect, to be careful. But for the unbeliever, it allows him to see the futility and the foolishness, the hopelessness of his position. That he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not, he has no hope in God. He has no hope in the afterlife. He's just there claiming there's no God. If there is a possibility there's a God, then your atheism is a very dangerous position to hold. Yes. If there is a possibility, it is irrational to hold to an atheistic position when there is a possibility that there is a God. Because even if I'm not sure, ah, is it not better to be on the right side? Abby, it's better for me to, I'm not sure, but it's better for me to believe and then die and realize there was a God after all, I'm in mean, his good books, than to choose not to believe, but there was a possibility and then I die and I find out that it's true. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And these are things you can help to, you know, because I'm saying this because many times when you deal with atheists and they will use flashy words and bring up other things. No bring them back to this thing this core thing what this happiness issue bring them back to it keep bringing them back to it keep don't let them move this up bring it bring the air but yes i understand everything i said fine but this one there's a book my pastor has about people's statements famous people their statements uh, especially those who are atheists or who did not believe in god and the statements they made on their deathbeds the statements they made on their deathbed, and you, oh, you are going to hear some very. Yeah, maybe I'll look for the book. I should have it somewhere. Maybe next week I'll read it to you. Read some of their statements to you. Hmm. Awesome motivations. Because let me just tell you, even you want to have children is a very selfish thing. Just so you know, it's very highly selfish. Just be aware. Want having children is a very selfish thing. Yes. And if you're not careful, you your children will say, "Oh yeah, I want what's best for them." Many times, if not for the God changing your heart, everything you do, you realize your children is like, ah, no, why are you, why do you want them to do well in school? Ah, so that people will not say, 
yeah, that's that's so many times parents as that I didn't say go and ask your the point as your parent, they tell you you're selfish. But I'm not telling you that that thing many times it is selfishness. This thing culture is true. And Roma clearly points that when somebody dies, the reason you cry, especially when some person is close to you, is that you're selfish, especially if that person was a Christian, because of your selfishness. If somebody was a Christian, that person has gone to be the Lord, it's far better. Paul said it's far better than being here, but you're crying. Why are you crying? You're crying because of how you feel. Yeah, it's because of you you're crying. That person is gone to be with the Lord. Better life, but you're here crying because of how selfish you are. Exactly. I'm sorry for shaking that table. So, <laughs> okay. So, Omo says, today's session provides me another perspective of the necessity of religious thoughts. How to disarm the man who believes he doesn't need all of this. <laughs> all right. Okay, who's going next? Let's share. Okay, go ahead, Priscilla. I think, I think that's in... I think that all my tables have been shaking today. They're all very shaky right now. Um, we then good. I think that for me, what I took away is that um, for for the longest time, I just thought that the way to get to people and the way to evangelize was through their emotions and through how they feel. But that can't sustain anybody, not even like Christians that believe in God. It can't sustain you. Your emotions can't sustain you. So if you don't have your why, if you don't know why you're doing it, if you don't understand Christianity and understand what it means and understand why, if you're not a Christian, you're in a mess, then you can't sustain it. So I think it just really um, brought the importance of understanding, like sustaining Christianity for me. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, having a reason. Now we've never started it, but <laughs> yeah, it's good to have that wake up call. Okay, thank you, Priscilla. Okay, who's next? Um, good evening, sir. So my take home from today's meeting is simply a call to reprioritize the things that matter because I think the way life goes on, we really get lost in a lot of things sometimes. Especially, I'll use an example. Maybe with work, I'm pursuing very mundane things. So I've just realized that almost in the end, it's just only God and doing the things that matter to God are actually like the things that matter. And just like Priscilla said, it really opens up, like it's very helpful to understand why we're even Christians in the, in the first place and the reason why we do what we do. So we can help others even understand what the whole thing is about through evangelism and solve all the unnecessary like confusion about you know, the top table, <laughs> so I'm like again, but just like this last time, glory to God. Thank you, sir. <laughs> glory to God. <laughs> glory to God. Okay, thank you, Olivia. Uh, I think be bold, I, be bold. I think I'm still trying to, the reality that children are, we want children because we're selfish, that, that is still dawning on me. It's it's shocking. It's rather shocking. But uh, I mean, today's today's teaching was very very, you know, extremely insightful. That the every human being just wants to be happy, you know, and it, it makes sense when people say, "Oh, just you know, your purpose is what you know." You, you said something I think last year um, about oh that thing that hurts you the most. So you just want to do something about it then you now made mention of um, if nigerian roads are what causes you frustration you know so everybody just wants to be happy and then the man that doesn't know god is just going to waste his life basically 
just go after fleeting things that will not matter in the end just because he wants to be happy you know and it's it helps you set your priorities straight really because when you realize that happiness can never actually come from these things the is the man in christ is not cannot depend on things like this for happiness it's it's yeah oh, it's, it's the a lot. soberness the soberness thank you everyone <laughs> so the yeah. first thing that like stood out to me was about atheists they say there's no god but they always say they are manifesting and believing in the universe and all that kind of weird stuff like if you want to believe that there's no god you should also believe that there's no devil that's the first one then the second part is that children like selfish and i reason yeah it's true because most people just want to have kids so that they'll do projects mbappe and project lebron <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's actually their own selfish interest true then the part about the what next i mean the then what question is it's really humbling you know because nobody actually thinks about it you know everybody's just going one step at a time they're not actually thinking about like what's going to happen happen it's humbling though it's humbling it's very humbling hmm. so <laughs> uh okay so okay i think we'll take emerald and that should be the last time i'll move on to go, go ahead emerald okay so from today's session i i got to have an understanding of death in itself and why it's important to place god as priority and one of the things that is sticking out to me is i don't know the need for spiritual intelligence and also the need for um theology in order to defend yourself when being faced in an argument with an unbeliever i don't know those are things that are sticking to me in regards to this session today and it's actually so important to like know all these things, the theology behind everything, behind Genesis, behind Exodus, like just every bit of everything in order to argue with unbelievers. I don't know, I just feel like it's so important. That's why I took out today. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You should have an answer. In other words, you should understand what you believe. Don't just believe. I'm not a Christian. You don't know anything. If you live, you're just like existing. You don't have a good reason for your beliefs. It's one, one, and that's the thing, because one day there's what we call an existential crisis. You know, one day when something, life comes crashing down. I've had several cases of things, bad things happen in my life. Some of you are aware of some of those things. Some, I think it was, uh, there was one, if you go and check the summer camps, there's one where you see me, I'm preaching with a band. That was 2018 or so. I'm preaching with a bandage on my hand because just shortly, like some, a few months before that, somebody decided that um, my phone belonged to him when it did not belong. And then when I did not give him, the guy decided to take my hand, but did not take it fully. But the point is, those were moments where I'm like, God, what, what what's going on? What's going on? You understand? Or just 2020, very dark moment for me. Lost someone very, very dear to me and all that. I've had a bunch of those, but what helped me to come back, stand on the pulpit the next day, <laughs> or that Sunday and preach, is the fact that my faith is not just based in my happiness. You understand? My faith is not the promise that, oh, you'll be happy. That's why I say Christianity is not the promise. 
that everything in this life will just be awesome. That's not the promise of Christianity. You understand? Christianity is not about things. It's not about those things. If it's about those things, when those things go away, your Christianity will go away as well. So our Christianity should be anchored on proper, sufficient reasons. You should have a stronger reason than natural things. Are you seeing that? Your faith should be rooted in something stronger than natural things if it's going to survive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody is still on this having to do a selfish thing. <laughs> yes, it's selfish. However, in Christ, okay, you can repurpose your reason can change. Do you understand? Whereby having children is not about you. Having children is about God. Therefore, that changes even how you raise your children. You don't raise your children for you. You raise them for God. Therefore, their decisions, what they are going to be and all that will not be about what you want. Your children will not be a reflection of the life you wanted for yourself. Rather, your children will be a reflection of the life that God wants to express through them. That's what it to be. That's how that changes that narrative. You understand? Uh, so <laughs> it's not about you. It's not about me. My children are not about me. I have to acknowledge that. And I see my daughters. They are not about me. It's not me. No, I'm only a vessel. You get, and I'm supposed to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's the idea. You get. So that's that's what happens. That's that's why you are Christians. Are you with me? Everything gets repurposed, including your money, including your time. Everything gets repurposed. Your marriage gets repurposed because marriage is also selfish. If children are selfish, marriage is also selfish. Yes, marriage is very selfish. Think about it. Why do you want to get married? It's a very selfish pursuit, highly selfish. That's why most people go into marriage not thinking about the other person but themselves. Yes, really, think about it. Because if that person is happy, you will be happy. So even the person's happiness that you think, I'm after your happiness, is so that you will be happy because of the feedback you get from that. Yes, it's very selfish. You are thinking about what the person will do for you. Yes, if you check marriage, in most cases, married, many people go into marriage at the back of their mind thinking about what they will get from the person, what the person will do, how the person will make their lives better. That's the idea of marriage in most minds, in most Christian minds as well. How will this person make my life better? That's why you want to get married. Whether it's sex or how you want, or, or, or good emotions or whatever it is or what, you know, the point is that that person becomes a means to an end. That person is not that valuable. The person is just a means. The person is a tool to achieve your own selfish desires, your own happiness. That's the truth. That's why if God doesn't help you, your marriage will be useless. If you don't repurpose that marriage to God, that the reason why I'm taking somebody, I'm marrying somebody, is that I can be able to serve that person and reflect Christ's love to that person. If that's not the mindset of view you have about marriage, your marriage will be messed up, it will hit the rocks. It will be miserable because you always be waking up every morning expecting someone to make your life better, make your life good. Didn't I marry you so you would do this for me? You didn't, didn't you we marry so that this and this will happen? It's always going to be about you and not about the person, not about God. So that's why you must see, when you get, when God comes to your life, he repurposes everything else. Because if you don't, if God doesn't, the world will give you a reason for everything. Your happiness, your selfishness, what you want. So we must change that narrative. And you can change, this thing can run through every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. 
every aspect of your life. Hallelujah. <laughs> Some people can go and build up. You know, and, and this is... <laughs> and... and, and <laughs> People are not happy with me. <laughs> yes. But you can go think this through. This is should this should inform your life's philosophy. Everything you should inform. Ask where everything you are doing by this metric. Why am I doing this thing I'm doing? Yes. Why do I want the family? Wife, children, all these things. Be honest with yourself. It's selfish. And when you see that selfish motive, it tells you that there's something wrong with that, with your motive. I remember it's motives that God, God looks at the heart, your motives. So many things that you are doing, you get, you have to purify your motives. You have to go back to God and say, this bad, this wrong motive. That's why love is the love of Christ we used to run marriage. It's the love of Christ we used to have children. It's the love of Christ we used to, for our neighbors and all that stuff. Why do you have all those friends you have? Is it really because of, you know, you just love them and all that? Or, or is it because of your own selfish end? Why are you there for people? Is it not because you want them to be there for you? <laughs> the selfishness just keeps going. It doesn't end. So be honest with yourself. And let God purify your heart, your motives. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's before I go into another, <laughs> how do you now marry selflessly? Well, we can, that is, that's why you see the Bible say, husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You see that whole text, it's about selflessness. Love have like Christ loved the church and what gave himself. In other words, you marry selflessly because you are going there to give yourself, to give God's love, to love that person regardless of what they do, to be a to be to be at to be to help them to become better, to help them to become more like Christ, to serve the person. That's why you are marrying a person, not to be serviced. That's why even when it comes to sex that you really want to have when you get married, the sex is not about you. The sex is about serving that person, not about you. Yeah. And that's why pornography is a very useless kind of, 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 of portrayal of sex because pornography shows a very selfish, ungodly approach to sex. But really, God, the way sex God, God designed it to be is that you are supposed to pay, I don't know, I haven't seen all this here, but yes, it is sex where the other person matters, not you. Not just you there. No, that's why there's a lot. When people want to start getting married, I was like, explain something to you people. I know that I can't say something here. But it's a selfless venture. It's not selfish. It's not selfish. And that's why Paul will say, he says, your body doesn't belong to you. The person's body, your wife's body doesn't belong to her. Your own doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the other person. Why? Because sex is not supposed to be for you. It's supposed to be for the other person. It is for you to serve the other person with your body, not to be to be served. You didn't come to be served. You went there to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is the philosophy of God for your life. Pele. <laughs> okay. So that's the idea. Uh, hallelujah. Amen. I like this session. Uh, okay, so... So I'll make aside from that, I'll make I should I'll make this one available maybe for the next seven days this recording. So you can actually go listen to it again. I encourage you to go listen to it again. Let's sit down, let it reshape your thinking and all that. And if you have questions about this stuff, you can always put it on the group and I'll answer it. Okay. So um um with that, I think we can end today's um I feel like there's a person that the healing is happening in your body. I don't know who is that, that person, but the healing is happening in your body.
right now. Somebody's getting healed of something. A healing is occurring in your body. This instant. Don't know who you are, but there's a healing occurring in your body right now. You can check whatever it was wrong. It was wrong. Your body is being rectified. You're being healed in your body this instant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're being healed. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 All right. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. We thank you. Oh, Parapatima. Tamina was. Oh, Frema. I hear restoration for another person. Something being restored in your life. I'm a proto mapi frate pala parta ke dido si prada bada hina husus restoration. I'm not person, I'm hearing separation. I feel like there's a separation that needs to happen. Like there's a separation where God is separating to himself. Where as this session went on, you may not have even spoken or said anything, but you have this strong conviction that the Lord is calling you to a separation where to, to, to be his, that your life should not be about you. Your life has been about you for so long, but your life should not be about you. Your life should be about him. So there's this longing, there's this drawing, there's this desire to consecrate and separate yourself unto God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. I just sense the power of God in this place. I don't know how to explain but I just sense the power of God, the hand of God. I don't know uh, if, wherever you are, I don't know how this message has come across to you and everything, but I feel like there's a, there's a need to actually don't, this message should not waste. Are you with me? You should just hear all this and then you just go away without making um, some, making a decision, all right? Messages like this should lead you to a place of decision where you're like, okay, look, God, I, I realize my life hasn't been about this, but I, I choose to make my life about this. I choose to make my life about you. You understand? So it's just between you and the Lord, but I just feel to emphasize that that people need to, you know, really sit down and then, you know, go over it. Don't let this just waste. Your life counts. Are you with me? Your life can, God forbid, we don't, we don't hope for anyone to die early, but the question is that if you do, what would your life be about? What would follow you after you go? All right? So there are people that need to reconsider some things and make some adjustments. All right. Amen. Amen. All right. So people of God, God bless you. Have a wonderful night and um, see you guys next week. Bye-bye.